Our worship theme for this month of June is the way of transformation. And this implies that transformation is good, right? That it's needed and that it's necessary. And you hear this in different ways in a variety of different faith traditions where the inference is often that we need to be different than we are, that we need to be changed. And I know I carry some of this impulse deep within myself, and I certainly don't think any of us are perfect or that we're done yet, that there's always work that we each can do. But I wonder about this call to transformation does it imply that there is something broken about us or something wrong within us that needs to be fixed? A few years ago, I was at a big gathering of UU ministers out in California on the coast, just north of Monterey. And there was a theme for this week of seminars and worship and free time together. And it was, come and be transformed with an exclamation point at the end. And there were numerous emails over months leading up to this gathering, always with that invitation, come and be transformed. And we had great preaching and worship every day, but one of the first couple of days, one of our preachers was someone who I know from this area, and she questioned the very theme that had brought us there. She said, I don't need for any of you to be transformed. I like you just the way you are. And she lifted up by saying this something that's central to our open-hearted faith tradition, that like some other religions, we start with the assumption that people are inherently good and decent, not broken, not uh, needing to be fixed. As Anne Frank wrote in words that seem particularly apt for this day, she said, in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I simply can't build up my hopes on a foundation consisting of confusion, misery, and death. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the ever-approaching thunder which will destroy us too. I can feel the sufferings of millions, and yet if I look up into the heavens, I think that it will all come right, that this cruelty too will end, and that peace and tranquility will return again. It is so clear that we live in a hurting and broken world. We each have our own demons and challenges and trials, but I want and I need our 
faith's assertion that we are good enough already. That we are loved just because we are. That we don't have to do anything to earn God's love or to be worthy of human care and attention. There is a voice in my head that can doubt this that says, oh, no, you need to be a good boy and work hard to gain approval and favor. But I'm trying to not listen so much to that voice, especially in these sweet June days when the invitation is to find our place in the beauty and warmth and peace of these summer days and to take some rest there. When I meet with new parents who want a blessing or a baptism for their baby, I tell them that in our tradition we are a little bit different, that our theology is clear, that we don't believe that babies come into this world inherently sinful, that we don't think there's anything that a baby needs to be cleansed of. And I haven't yet met a new parent who disagreed with that. The English poet William Wordsworth put it this way a while ago. He wrote, trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. Heaven lies about us in our infancy. But we can forget this, of course. Life can wear us down. We can lose our way. Sometimes we forget who we are and whose we are. And so we need to be reminded. We need glimpses of the light and love that illuminates our days. It's one of the reasons I love being in church on Sunday morning. So in this way, perhaps, maybe this is a way that we do need to be transformed. Maybe we need to unlearn some of the unhelpful lessons that we've been taught and try on new and more liberating ways of being so that we can live more gladly into the fullness of who we were born to be. Do you need to be transformed? Only you can answer that. I will say that most of us would benefit from doing our own work, whatever that is, whatever it is that helps us to be more awake and more open to these lives that we've been given. And whether we seek change or not, life is going to shape us and change us, isn't it? How could it not? Every now and then I hear someone who's talking about they're anticipating a big life event that's on their horizon, getting married maybe, or having a child, and sometimes I hear them say, but it's not going to change me. No, it's not. You've heard this, right? You've heard people say this. Maybe you've said it yourself. If I were more blunt, I would say, are you kidding? These big things, they are meant to be life-changing. Maybe that's what you're afraid of? Because it is natural to be scared of change because of what it might cost or what we might lose. Change can be painful. 
there's a joke about this. How many church people does it take to change a light bulb? Change? 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 And change is good for us. It is. Rabbi Edwin Friedman was a big proponent of people doing their own work. He said it's fruitless to try and convince someone else that they need to change. The good news is, in Friedman's perspective, that by changing our own behavior, we can change the world around us more than we imagine. Friedman wrote, if you want your child or spouse or client or boss to shape up, stay connected to them while changing yourself rather than trying to fix them. He told a story about parents who were worried about their kid not doing well in high school. And he said, here's my advice to you. Just start saying to your child, you are going to save us thousands and thousands of dollars. Thank you so much. Because if you keep on this path, we're not going to have to pay for college. And that's an example of you change your attitude and give them the work. And uh, it can be harsh, but, but it works. So if you want things around you to change, if you want the world to change, take a look inside and start making the changes that are needed within you. That's a way of transformation that is worthy of our attention and our effort. One of the things that I know for certain is that you all here have changed me over the 14 years that I've been here with you. I am on my knees grateful to be your minister that it's my job to be in relationship with you. That I get to pick the hymns many of the Sundays and plan for worship and work with the great people that we have here. Of course, it's kind of a great job, you know, as I say, you only work one day a week. <laughs> and you get time off in the summer too. So a couple of years ago, our daughter Emma gave me a book of poems for my birthday. In an inscription she wrote in the front, she said, I know you're always mining what you read for sermon pieces. And so she said, I've taken the liberty of lightly annotating this book of poems. And she wrote in the margins and the contents about ones that she recommended. She has criticized me over the years of, in her words, cherry picking what I read for sermons, and I just say, can't argue with that, but um, she may do that because at the church where I did my internship, someone gave me a book, and I was uh, busy, and she was in probably middle school at the time, and I said, I'll give you $5 if you read this book and give me a book report, <laughs> and she did. <laughs> anyway. In her annotations in this book of poems by Louise Gluck, um, this one that we heard that Abby just read, she marked in the margins as the most church usable. That poem, Parable, that we just heard. I've read it a number of times, and I'm not sure I still understand it, 
But I love it, and I love the fact that my daughter recommended it to me and also to you. And I do believe it's about the transformation that can come to us whether we seek it or not. The transformation we get by showing up and by being part of a community. And so I know it's a little long, but I'm going to read most of it again. First, divesting ourselves of worldly goods, as St. Francis teaches, in order that our souls not be distracted by gain and loss, and in order also that our bodies be free to move or easily at the mountain passes, we then had to discuss whither or where we might travel, with the second question being, should we have a purpose, against which many of us argued fiercely that such purpose corresponded to worldly goods, meaning a limitation or constriction. Whereas others said it was by this word we were consecrated pilgrims rather than wanderers. In our minds, the word translated as a dream, a something sought, so that by, by concentrating, we might see it glimmering among the stones and not pass blindly by. Each further issue we debated fully, the arguments going back and forth, so that we grew, some said, less flexible and more resigned, like soldiers in a useless war. And then she describes how time passes and snow falls and rains and some of us were lost. And there were moments when it would seem we had reached an agreement, our canteens hoisted upon our shoulders, but always that moment passed. So after many years, we were still at the first stage, still preparing to begin a journey. But we were changed nevertheless. We could see this in one another. We had changed, though we never moved, and one said, Ah, behold how we have aged, traveling from day to night only, neither forward nor sideward. And this seemed, in a strange way, miraculous. And those who believed we should have a purpose believed this was the purpose. And those who felt we must remain free in order to encounter truth felt it had been revealed. That does sound like church to me. We were changed, nevertheless. We could see this in one another. Although we never moved. Life is such a beautiful mystery, isn't it? This moment, this place, this gathering of souls, those we are connected to over time and space this shared way that we are traveling together for a time. None of it permanent, but all of it present here, in this moment, and in these connections we share. In these days, let us take heart that there is an unseen goodness and a hidden wholeness that is in our midst that we are part of a great and abiding love. As the local poet John Green Leaf Whittier wrote, the letter fails and systems fall and every symbol wanes. The spirit overbrooding all, eternal love remains. Now and forever.
Amen.